I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome to Play Me, your ticket to some of the hottest shows by award-winning playwrights. We're back with the conclusion to the musical memoir mixtape by playwright and performer Zorana Sadek. If you missed parts one and two, here's a quick recap to help you catch up. Zorana grows up with a love of music and sound. It gets her through some difficult times, like the breakdown of her parents' marriage. She graduates from art school and decides to pursue classical singing at university. But her mother's overbearing desire for her to be excellent starts to suck the joy out of singing for Zorana. This is the conclusion to Mixtape, written and performed by Zorana Sadek. I should tell you here that this is around the time that my mother and I became estranged. It became a reality, me cutting her off over many years, but this was the jumping off point for me. It's tricky. I suffer from a heady combo of guilt and revulsion. It's difficult for people to believe that I have a life-threatening allergy to my mother. I haven't told you everything about what it was like. The volatility, the humiliation that was so often in public. Just the the untenable nature of having her in my life. The, The intrusions and the infringements and the things that have to be present to make a decision like I did. And I was brought up with the idea that It wasn't really right to air the family's dirty laundry. And as you can see, I am doing an excellent job with that one. I had my own repertoire that I wanted to play. And she was always playing something else right on top so loudly that I had trouble staying on my part. And so I dragged. I played less and less of the notes and the bars until there was just silence. For a while, I couldn't feel the outline of myself. Unmoored, maybe. From Bars, where sleep 
God of love. I pursue a master's degree at another university with a prickly Fran Lebowitz type teacher whose aesthetic is all power, all might. Hither, hither, ye little waiting cupids fly, fly, fly. One day we're working on Henry Purcell's song from Rosie Bowers. I feel a lot of things about this song, but I have a job to do and I don't want to get it wrong. Besides, if I feel too many things, then my voice closes up on me like the top of a balloon. happen in voice lessons where you're asked to stop listening and allow a teacher to listen for you. While you're a young singer, sometimes your job is to hone in on the physical sensation of the technique that produces the desired sound. Teach me, teach me in soft melodious sounds to move with tender, tender I finish, and she asks me to describe what color my voice would be if it was a color. Yellow? She says airily, oh, really? I think it's more like light pink. Um, oh, I had been having a really good time with her. I'd missed the part about her lack of belief in my voice. Pink? Like silly putty? And she is nothing if not honest when she says next, you'll never be a world-class singer. How did I arrange my face when she said that to me? Was she right? Oh, God, I had, I'd, I'd handed over the reins. I had no beautiful voice floating around in my imagination like a kite. No true north. I switch teachers and I do hasty repair work on my now disoriented voice, feeling a deep sense of betrayal of myself. I cobble my way through the year, doubting myself and the doubting the doubt. I don't sing in the shower. I don't hum along to the radio. Why? Why would I do that? And I have one last big, let's call it test to sing. That recital was the culminating moment when everything I had learned met up with my natural talent and resulted in that stunning peak into the great career I was going to have. Dum, 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 dum. Dum, 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 da, 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 da.
After I sing it, I exit the stage and I see my reflection in the backstage mirror. I look like a piece of chalk and I feel like I just stood on stage and faced a firing squad. I get back the comments from the final recital. I pass. I am a master of music. They're not great, the comments. I leave them to your imagination. I can remember them only in a gestural sense. Except one. Miss Sothic's singing is inexpressive. Disconnected. Well then, what the hell am I doing it for? Is he right? That adjudicator, the one who looks like a less attractive Wallace Shawn? Inexpressive, as in not connected to the feeling. Well, they were right. I couldn't make the sound of how I felt, so I couldn't make the sound of who I was. I stopped singing. If I had made a robot of my voice, then what was the point? You know, the thing that I had built brick by brick. And all that I could see was that one little door. On the other side of which was a sound that was so me. It was so absolutely me. It was true north. That's what I thought. I should mention that my mother shows up at that recital. Afterwards, in the lobby, I feel myself summoning a force field around me to keep me in and her out. After I finished my degree, I was exhausted. As a kind of occupation, I slept in late, lost my appetite, and also my self. I felt a bit like I'd had my passport revoked. You know, my nationality, that of classical singer, was no longer articulated by my being a student of the thing. And I didn't feel like singing anything. On top of everything, my mother kept calling and calling, showing up outside my apartment, idling in her car. I blocked her number. I blocked her emails. I took a job at a call center, you know, that kind of situation. I sat on the phone five hours a day, five days a week. Toronto Star Circulation, Zorana speaking. At work, I could sort of subsist way under the radar, and, and that was something. Yes, I understand. You want to keep the Saturday, but cancel the Wednesday paper after you return from your vacation. One day at work, I heard a knocking on the glass door to the open concept office I was working in. It was my mother. She has shown up after months of no contact and me making clear my desire that she leave me alone. And as I am calculating what to do, she convinces someone to punch in the entry code on the keypad outside. She said something like, I'm Zorana's mom and I want to give her a little pick-me-up. It always goes like this. In one short 
2-4 bar, my deer-in-the-headlights feeling switches to cold outrage, and I am out of my seat and to her without any knowledge of how I get there, with the sound of vibrating in my mouth directly from the center of me, closing up like the top of a balloon before I can even get out the why are you, what are you, when will you? And that emanation is met with her virtuosic incredulity. I, standing stiff with anger at her transgression, and she, with her eyebrows lifted and her mouth in the shape of a perfect O of innocence. We are like a comic pantomime, the two of us, in public. It's always like this. I have done this dance with her a million times when she's shown up uninvited at my places of work, the front porch of my house, when she won't take no for an answer, can't even acknowledge the sound, the sound of no. She steps right over that line every time. Hmm. I'm going to take a hard right here. You know when something is you, but it's a surprise? Like when you deeply identify with a book about cowboys, maybe? Around this crazy time in my life, there was a composer whose music was, well, like that. And he and I, well, so I had, I had gone into a deep, deep, quiet place, listening sort of hungrily instead of singing. And I began to listen to the music of 20th century French composer Olivier Messiaen. So when I first heard his compositions, I felt like I was in a submarine or on a hot air balloon. His, his music was gauzy and strange and resided so often in unsettled places where the mood of the music could just change its mind quickly, never knowing if you were heading towards you know, wild jubilance or equally possible, a, a kind of glowing melancholy complex, multi-layered states of being that I had never, ever heard in music that way before, but that I had felt inside myself all the time. So, Messiaen's melodies are sometimes speech-like, and people often find his music abstract. <laughs> what does abstract mean to you? The paint splatters of Jackson Pollock, maybe? Or something you know, purposely incomprehensible? For me, it meant no instructions. That my ear played a part in making the meaning of putting the puzzle pieces together. When I listen to his music, I hear things like, this, dimensionalized as if talking right to me, I hear things like, 
insistent repetition in the right hand of the piano. It's the feeling of a penny finally dropping in your mind. I hear time stretching and contracting without warning the way that a pandemic can steal a year of your life without your consent, but also the way that caramel stays on your tongue longer than it's physically there. I hear in the strings a kind of hummed encouragement, like an mm hmm. <laughs> but not placating, it's specific to you. Messiaen's music also opens me up. It reminds me of moments like this, like sitting you know, shrunk down in your coat on the freezing cold Queen streetcar in January, you know, sad in that sort of open way, sort of willing the time to pass on your commute home from, say, the call center at the Toronto Star, trying to if I'm honest, just avoid the human race and then being suddenly rearranged inside by a stranger sitting in the seat in front of you and she is feverishly twisting her ring back and forth on her hand and she's clearly going through something and instead of passing over it, you feel it through her and with her on that streetcar. Messiaen's music said, remember your spongy heart with all those little holes to let the things in. And I was reminded that I'm that kind of person. I'm sort of pathologically empathetic. And that if I left my heart out, it would soak up all the things. And even though it could feel a bit waterlogged at times, it could be my fuel. But when there's someone that you need to keep out, then you have to change that, that absorptive property. But it's systemic, that change. You can't just inject the hardness into one small part. So because of the choices that I had made, because of the blockades that I had put up to protect myself, I had become a closed organ. The little holes in my heart had become obstructed. This is a recording of my heartbeat. I was thinking recently about why it is that we can't hear our own hearts beating. So I looked it up and it turns out there is a thing in our brain that inhibits the perception of sounds from inside our bodies for survival reasons. It is strange to me that I am being blocked from hearing something as essential as my own heartbeat by my brain. Uh, my heartbeat is a waltz. 
it's an arrangement of short and long notes that have a clearly triple time feel, which makes sense because time signatures in three always feel like a wheel to me when I'm singing in them. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Perpetual. <laughs> Although with my heartbeat, uh, it's more like three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, short, long, short, long. The, the contraction of a heart is like an upbeat, and then the relaxation is a downbeat plus another beat. I wonder why not two even beats? You know, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, symmetrical. But I like it. In the same way I like uneven hemlines, off-center picture frames, nine-second pauses between songs, fried eggs with a wayward yolk, Messiaen's music. They all have that lurch in them, too. And it took me some time to realize that, and I needed that the different definitions of beauty. But my voice was still on pause, even though I could feel the tectonic plates on my mixtape rearranging, making space for things. I mean, I'm Pakistani. South Asians know my provenance from a mile away as something to do with the shape of my nose and my moles, I think, but other people, not so much. And my relationship to my culture, the yummy, spicy food, the beautiful clothes, I was a late bloomer to them, I suppose. Or maybe just, you know, like a cactus. The music, too, uh, what I heard of it. Until I heard Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan's ecstatic singing in little wisps on Peter Gabriel's soundtrack to The Last Temptation of Christ. So Messiaen's music had reminded me of the need for a borderless self. Around this time, I had broached a slim relationship with my father again. We met infrequently. It wasn't father-daughtery. So the truth is I was lonely, even if I had chosen it. And so I was craving roots. If not the family, then the family tree or the soil that it grew in. I was, I was needing to feel music in my blood, home in my blood, as close to me as I could get it, like a heel pressed into the cup of its shoe. And Khan's singing was that. Coals. Oh, I can't sing in that style. I feel like somehow I should actually know how to skate over all those microtones with my voice. You know, to do that naturally, like birds know how to balance on a wire. It's kind of like how I feel I should instinctively understand my mother's mother tongue, Urdu, but I don't. I remember on Eid, when we were kids, we would sit cross-legged on the cream shag carpet and my mother would read a short section of the Quran for us and the Arabic words would just fly over our heads. 
This is the only time I ever heard her speak Arabic. And I've been thinking about that memory again recently in writing this play, estranged for so many years now from her. I've been thinking about her and the private tracks and sounds that played in her life before me when she was still young and still conjuring up the beautiful caper of her life, of the grand adventure of leaving home, of marrying not a man picked by her family, but the dark, mysterious horse of my father. Because she is conjuring a remarkable life, a magical house, family of her own. So I've been thinking about her, and I make something different of it all. My sister and I disappear from the memory completely, and my mother remains by herself on the carpet. My mother struggles with the Arabic. Her Urdu is fast and fleet, but Arabic, the liturgical language of the Quran, is something else. Pakistan is on the other side of the ocean from the way it all played out here in Canada and the vibrant bustle of her life back in Pakistan is already like some fable. So the sounds are like a time capsule for her. It's not the words, we're not a particularly religious family, but the song of the sounds coming out of her mouth the sounds are like marbles on the floor of her girlhood room. She starts off sort of stumbling and restarting the phrases. And then she meets those sounds again. And she finds herself in the song. I can hear her melody curling and swooping and making its own meaning in her own life far apart from me. And when I can hear it like this, it pleases me. I'm pleased for her. And I feel spongy inside my ribcage. We'll be right back. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Here's your show. Play on podcasts are epic audio adventures reimagining timeless tales with award-winning actors. Double, double toil and trouble, fire burning cauldron bubble. Filet of a forest snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Listen today at playonpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I am standing on a little stage in a cluster of birch trees. My character is a woman who has, because of a curse, because it is opera after all, been turned into a birch tree. Every night I climb up a small ladder onto the platform to sing the show. I love the part. I am thrilled by it. It's haunting. It's sort of mournful and glowing all at once. It's perfect for my voice. The opera is performed outdoors, and the audience walks through a forest to several different stages as the sun sets. No amplification. 
It's a bit rough out there in the forest, though. I, I have a fear of spiders, and so, of course, as I perch up in the trees, there appears to be some kind of spider convention going on just every night. One of the sweet techs goes up before every show and tries to sweep out the trees, but it's nature. You can't stop those fucking spiders. It's who they are. So I can't help but feel a bit edgy as I'm up there rigidly standing on the tiny platform nestled in the birch trees waiting for my cue. But when the moment comes, I take a breath. And the moon lights a path for me. The firing squad lowers its artillery. The sky turns from a light pink to sapphire blue. And my throat opens like a peony. And this is what happened next. Once the sounds came rolling out of my mouth, it was a bit like um, gremlins, like that scene where they're sort of everywhere. I was hearing music and some strange shit in the everyday, in places I never would have thought to look. Lush melodies leapt out at me in the glissando of my oven door opening, in the arioso sounds of Venus Williams playing tennis in the electroacoustic e-vowel of the overzealous fluorescent light. Oh yes, and right in the middle of that thick symphony, I am deposited into a chair at my doctor's office for a checkup on how my pregnancy is going. I spent a lot of years thinking, I'm kind of a hermit person. You know, like an extrovert uh, hermit person, you know, like a solo act. And I will likely stay single and not have children. And family for me isn't really, you know, because I'm, I'm that kind of person. And that's a good life. I know a lot of people with that life. It's just that I wasn't that kind of person. And here I am. My husband, Jason, and I are expecting a baby. I had worries I was uh, missing some things, you know, maternal instinct, glowy mommy stuff. I was worried about some print through, maybe, of other tracks that would blot out the ones that I had so carefully picked. I had worries about my skill set. My doctor puts a smooth stethoscope to my belly, attached to what looks sort of like a Walkman a Doppler machine, and turns it on. And I hear my son's heartbeat, the jackrabbit thwapping. It is so fast, like he is really trying to get my attention. Compulsory, running eighth notes of urgent calling. Mama, 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 m
And then I hear something else, almost like a swish behind the sound, but regular. And my doctor tells me, it's mine, it's my heartbeat. And we listen to it for a sec. I just wasn't sure I would be ready. I guess it's a strange thing, but I've come to this conclusion while writing this play in thinking back 13 years ago now to that moment of listening to my heartbeat. It's this sort of wild realization that sound and music have been for me. Well, what if I say it like this? Parents, it turns out that for me, listening is an act of love and music makes you practice that. And if someone falls apart, they can be soothed and tucked into bed after, but that soothing, that doesn't mute your real wild truth. And pleasure is a teacher, as much as hard work is a teacher. Music makes a hard heart spongy. And you can become that baseline, drawing the shape of things for someone else, listening to their melody, being their company. And I know these things. I was taught these things in the care of sounds, in the way that a child would learn to swim if it stayed in the company of dolphins. And when I was small, I learned things from my parents, basic things, important things, like how to talk and drink from a cup and do up your zipper. But then the job changed and they didn't know how to you know, to allow me, to catch me, to just keep me in their sights without blocking the light. While I became an artist, a teacher, a partner, flexible and able to play many different tunes. In the care of music and sounds, I have been so lucky. And I know this to be true the music and sound as parents part not just because of what I have learned from them but because of how much I love them so I'm there lying back on the table at my doctor's on just it's a regular day a Tuesday say and it sounds almost like a big soft catcher's mitt just this bass line here laying down a heavy, solid track. The kind of track you can reliably drive on and reverse on and even crash into, and it is still a heavy track. And then, I heard, I'm here, 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 I'm here. 
introductions were made to each other literally heart to heart. And I was that tall tower singing that song because to my great delight, it was in my repertoire. I'm here, 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 I'm here. That was the conclusion of Mixtape, written and performed by Zorana Sadek. Chris, this is such a moving and candid and raw play. It really makes me think as a mom about how it's so easy to become consumed um, with a mother's ambition, especially when you spot talent in your child and how it can contribute to snuffing out the very thing that that they loved. Um, I'm just so glad that uh, Zorana was able to enjoy singing again and obviously performing to create such a beautiful piece. Yes, and I, I was really hoping that maybe they would be able to heal that relationship. But the show is based on real life. And of course, that's not how it played out. I love Zorana's honesty and vulnerability in sharing her very personal play. We'll be back next week with an in-depth interview with Zorana about what it's like to put her life story on the stage. And if you enjoyed this solo show based on real life, you might also enjoy Karen Hines' play, Crawl Space, available on Play Me. And remember, you can always catch Play Me on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius XM every Sunday and Wednesday night. The director of the theatrical production was Chris Abraham. The music and sound were designed by Thomas Ryder Payne. Mixtape had its world premiere at Crow's Theatre in Toronto in 2021. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can connect with us by emailing playme at cbc.ca. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Play Me through Google or Apple Podcasts. By subscribing, you can listen to all our past shows and you won't miss a single one of our new episodes. And while you're there, we would love it if you would consider rating and reviewing us. It helps spread the word about our podcast, bringing theatre to a whole new audience. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley in partnership with CBC Podcasts. Our associate producer is Mary Chris Rivera. A special thanks to our CBC team. Anna Ashate is our digital producer, and our executive producer is Cecil Fernandez. The director of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani, and the executive director is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information about our plays, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.